Before we start this podcast, the team at the Racing Line Pod would like to thank you for listening and supporting us. So that we can continue to grow as a podcast, we would love it if you could give us a rating and review on your podcast platform. This helps us to grow as a pod moving forward. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy this episode. Yeah, I've got some Halo to play, so let's finish this. What episode is this, by the way? 31, 31. I think. 31? All right, episode 31 then. All right, boys, good evening, everyone. Welcome to episode 31 of the Racing Line podcast. It's been a bit of a slow week or slower week um, in the racing world. It depends on what racing you watch, to be honest with you, because there's been quite a bit of racing to watch um, if you're interested in some of the smaller categories that are on show, but it's a slower week for the podcast anyway. So we've got a few different things that we're going to be talking about tonight. A little bit of Formula One, a little bit of MotoGP, a little bit of Bathurst Six Hours, and we also have some fan questions that um, we're going to talk about as well. So gents, how are we going? How's our week? Good, mate. Good. Good, mate. Happy, to, happy, happy that you're back, mate. Yeah, well, I missed one episode and I got taken from, you know, pillar to post for it. But you, I was, Joe. you did. And I was, I was a little bit um, upset because I had been the only person up to then to, to be on all 30 of the, the previous episodes when you take into consideration interviews and all that. So um, only because you monologue that we just have to let you go on all of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. Hey, it's good to see you again, mate. Hope you enjoyed the Grand Prix. Um, it's good, mate. You know, from all everything you've said about it, it seems like it's had a impression on you which is always the way to go but let's just jump into um, a few of the topics that we're going to be talking about tonight and number one on the agenda is the um, f1 calendar and historic tracks you know the conversation that formula one has had or, or put out this week about um, the fact that regardless of if you're, if, uh, of if you're a historic track or not that legacy of the track isn't necessarily enough to keep um, form or keep the track on the calendar so boys let's no, start here. What are your initial thoughts on on the on the news? Um, I don't really know, uh, like in terms of where to begin, because we don't really know what historic tracks, um, like what tracks we're going to be losing. I mean, there's there's speculation of tracks that are coming off contract, including Spa Frankenchamps. Um, I do think that if if we're going to be losing tracks like Spa Frankenchamps, not Silverstone, but like tr- tracks that have been sort of staples of the of the championship for such a long time. Um, in order to fit in, like Las Vegas street circuits that might or might not give us good racing, I really think that there is um, that or that Formula One should err on the side of caution with 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 things like this. I mean, there's one thing bringing in new fans, which is what every sport sort of wants and needs to do for survival. But at the expense of alienating the fans that you already have um, and losing... I mean, here's the thing. They're saying um, Monaco might go. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the interesting thing is I wouldn't be as, as sorry if a, if a track like Monaco went because Monaco has not been conducive to good racing for... The better part of two decades, really. Really. 
and then um but like a track like spa frankenchamps like silverstone even um uh, what's the what's the french track called the paul new Ricard. one paul ricard oh, um, that can go that can go i think that these countries that actually bring so much to the sport in terms of fans drivers history teams um, and like team, brand names teams, um, I really think that we should be erring on the side of caution. I mean, there's one, there is one American team in the sport, and we're going to have three races there. And 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 to be frank, they haven't done anything in the sport. You know what I'm saying? So if we're going to bring three races there and then lose a track like um, Paul Ricard, I think that we have to. Um, my God, my son's just started crying. I think we have to err on the side of caution. I'll be back. What, what do you think, Harry? Because it's, it's actually an interesting, it's an interesting conversation because, uh, I mean, over the last, you know, 15 years or so, we've seen some of the more historic track, you know, on the Formula One calendar go. Um, I mean, obviously there hasn't been, or there's been missing German Grand Prix, you know, fairly mm. uh, sporadically or continuously over the last couple of years. Places like Nürburgring, Hockenheim, that um, you know were circuits that were kind of staples of the of the of the series um, go before. Um, there's obviously um, been the whole Imola situation where we lost Imola for a number of years as well, and it was only really due to the pandemic that there was you know ever really any chance of it coming back, and it did. Um, and we've obviously seen tracks like you know Turkey wouldn't necessarily be considered a historic track, but um, you know, tracks like that have come back as well. So I think Formula One in its recent history hasn't been shy of getting rid of some of its historic tracks. But I think the point that Joseph made is, is you know, pretty important as well. It definitely does depend on the track. It depends on, you know, the history of it. It depends on whether the track is conducive to good racing as well. And if you've got a track like um, Spa, for example, um, that is so, you know, conducive to good racing, particularly with this new formula that we've got now. I think a track like Spa will be phenomenal. Um, you don't want to lose. You don't want to lose it. The only other point that I would make is Formula One has made, you know, over the last 10 years or so, a number of points of saying that they want to make sure that the tracks that they're going to are close to the fans so that fans don't have to commute long distances to get to the races and that they're, you know, easily accessible. So obviously there's a lot of street circuits because of that, because obviously they're taking the races to the fans. Um, and a lot of these new tracks that we're seeing, whether it be Miami, whether it be Las Vegas, um, et cetera, are old tracks that do take Formula One to the fans. And I think that's probably part of the new Formula One's thinking as well. Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm all for um, the expansion of Formula One. Um, losing tracks like Spa, I think, would be a, a detriment to to the to the formula. I think we have how many races in the uh, desert at the moment? I think it's three or four. We've got Bahrain, four. Four. yeah, four four races, right? Three in the US, which I totally get. US is massive. We've got one kind of on each corner. You know, we've got Texas, Miami, and now Vegas. Vegas. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if we get another one, to be honest. Um, but four in the desert, and then, and in my opinion, none of them are good for conducive uh, for good racing, right? I think maybe Bahrain's okay. Um, what about the Yas Marina circuit to end the year? 
I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. I. Don't mind. I don't know. Maybe, maybe because it has been a dead rubber for so many years, and last year was probably the only time we've seen anything happen to that race. But again, before Latifi crashed, there was we all thought Hamilton was going to walk away with the championship. So, um, you know, if we lose tracks like Spa, Monaco doesn't bother me. I get the history behind Monaco, but um, you know, if we lose tracks like Spa, Silverstone, and all that, that's the I think the DNA of Formula One. And if we do lose them, then they could be alienating a whole fan base that they've had for years. I think the other consideration that we probably do need to be aware of and considerate of is the fact that we're getting all of these new tracks. We want to keep a number of the historic tracks as well. Mm. Um, but the reality is there's going to have to be a cull uh, because either way, like we've spoken a couple of weeks ago about the fact that the calendar itself is getting too big. Yep. Um, and I think that, where we've got to the point now where there's more races oh sorry we've got to the point now where like a dnf mm. is reclaimable if you win you know a majority of races over the you know over the remainder of the year so it's not like the value for each race isn't as high anymore so i think there's there's definitely a conversation about getting rid of some of potentially the historic facts i think like you said and joseph said you know getting rid of a place like monaco i mean mm. we understand the the impetus of it or the um the prestige of the race, yeah. but yeah, the mystique of it, that's a good word. But as far as racing is concerned, it's, you know, it's not that um, great anymore. And I think if you look at something like Formula E, who are still racing in Monaco, that might be a more conducive ca category mm. to, to Monaco, just based on the, I guess, the robust, the robustness of the cars and, you know, the speed that they're going at. Um, even places like um, Budapest, so Hungaro Ring, as much as that's a phenomenal track as well, it's getting to the point now where the cars are too big um, and not a whole lot of overtaking takes place there either. So getting rid of some of those tracks, I think would be beneficial only to allow some of these new tracks that we're racing at to be added as well without making this, the, the tournament or the, the calendar any larger, because I think we've now we've, what are we at? 22 tracks that we're racing at 23, 23 too much. Like if, I think the hundred percent going, if we're going over 21, even like, you know, we keep coming back to, or we've said this before, but MotoGP is currently on 18 or 19 races a year. Perfect. Um, and I think that's, you know, you, you're never having these triple headers. You've got a few rounds where there's, you know, two weeks or three weeks off at times. And I think that's the happy medium between having a, a, a really st um, strong calendar, but then also not having too much. They race in America two or three times a year, depending on, or two times a year now. Mm. Um, and I, you know, probably the conversation about having as many um, golf or, you know, Emirates tracks in there as well, yeah. um, purely because they're bringing a lot of money into the, into the sport is, is saturating the, yeah. the calendar too. You, you mentioned Imola, um, you know, and that's obviously a historic track. We know the history behind that track in Formula One incidents that have happened in the past, etc. Racing, you know, 2005 or 2006, I think it was the Alonso Schumacher, battle probably one of the best battles um in formula awesome. one um one of the best battles to take place without an overtake yeah amazing uh they were you know right on each other's gearbox the whole whole way but the racing at imola in the past two years has been amazing and we come back to it all the time i think and it's the, the lack of runoff and it it does differentiate the top drivers with the not so top drivers and, mm. and i think that's something that we need 
to be careful of making all these sterile tracks that have massive amounts of runoff. But, but then you, know, you look at a place, we say that, and then we look at a place like Spa where traditionally that has been the case. But then obviously they've made a number of upgrades to the track mm-hmm. that do make that have made it a little bit more in the in the names of in the name of safety yeah. they have made them a little bit more sterile and i was listening it was interesting i was not listening i was watching um some british gt this morning because they're racing literally they're racing right now on, on a monday because it's a long weekend mm. uh, and one of the races was saying and obviously it's gt cars it's not formula one so they're not going as fast but he said one of the things that you know is underrated and that drivers feel is going to a circuit where there's no runoff. He said, because a lot of these new tracks in Europe that we're racing at, and this is for, again, GTs, not for money. He's, he's saying, you know, if you make a mistake, you push the limit, you make a mistake, then you just slow down over the next 50 meters over the runoff that you've been given. And he said, there's a real like thrill for drivers to be able to go to tracks that don't have that runoff. Hmm. And, and and you as the driver have to create that that barrier yourself with the exit, with the outside of the track, whether it's sand or whether it's, um, grass or whatever it might be so even the drivers you know feel that too um, I think uh, I don't think it's going to change it's just the nature of safety and 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 where the sport's going but you know it's it's a good point like do we lose some of these big historic tracks that you know provide you know constraints to racing purely based on the surroundings mm. um, for some of these new tracks that are you know you know the rushes of the that would be a track that actually that would be happy to see go tomorrow yeah. to be honest with you so and i don't Rush, think it's coming back because no, of the because of the issue so your rush is gone by default um but it's a yeah. definitely an interesting conversation you know, what might actually be an interesting thing to do on the pod one night is actually to come up with our own 20 race calendar on of the, of the tracks that are there now and that are coming in that we would like to actually see i'm writing that down i like that write it down i like that idea we can come up with five tracks each and we'll put them in to a yep. calendar. Agreed. And Joey's back. Joey's yeah, back. I... Um, no, if he's well, an old mate this... in the background, he's up here with me. Is he? <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, Enzo. You can speak... hear him. Yeah. Speaking of tracks with minimal runoff, Joey, you want to give us a rundown of the Bathurst 6-hour and the, the domination of the M2s? Yeah, well, I didn't go. I didn't go uh, yesterday on the actual race day. I went on the Saturday for the um, qualifying day. Um, it was it was actually a pretty really nice day to be honest. Um, it was easy to get around because it isn't actually like crazy amounts of fans, um, and the food was a lot cheaper, which was awesome as well. <laughs> um, so we made a day of it with the family, um, and really, I mean. In terms of an event that I would like to go to again and experience probably on the race day, I think I'm going to put it up there because it had really good vibes. Um, in terms of the whole parody thing, is that what you want you want me to talk about? Yeah, so I'll put a, I'll put a question up on the Instagram page today um, if anyone wanted us to discuss anything. And Dalton Ellery that, we, that you guys spoke, spoke to, to last, last week, week yeah. um, just wanted to hear our thoughts on the M2 parody and... I did well, some reading about it, and obviously the the M two being the quickest car on the weekend. What do we? Yeah. What do you well, think? Well, I um I did. I'm going to preface this by saying I am by no means even a armchair expert of production <laughs> car racing. 
Yeah. Um, let's let's start with that. And I don't I don't want to pretend that I am. Um, old mate's having a conversation with me. He thinks I'm talking <laughs> to him. Um, and um, so let's start let's let's start there. In terms of parody in 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 racing in general, like there's always parody um, and and these new sort of championships and and series that have come into the into the sort of motorsport space in the last couple of years have come in for a certain amount of reasons. And number one is to sort of um, cost cap motor like um, gentlemen motorsport, and that's sort of been the um, sort of prerogative of TCR GT3 racing, where you buy a car. And then you don't have to do anything to it. You just got to get parts for damage, pretty much. And you've got, and you've got BOP controlling right. so the then, performance. So then, so then the, the actual organisers are supplying perform a performance balance, to give everyone an even chance of well performance. Um, so where production car racing is um, very different is that, or not very different, but it, it it would take a lot of effort to balance the amount of cars that were on that grid in terms of like. You have, you had, I think there was 35 makes, uh, Dalton was saying last week, in different um, classes. And then you have the M2s and the M3s that are actually in the same class. And they, and the, they have the same sort of uh, drivetrain power unit, but then the M2 is a lot lighter, mm. which obviously, uh, you know, so you, you're definitely going to have advantages with the actual just overall weight of the car. And um, the M2 sprints um, smoked them. It was. It came through the. Um, it came from the back of the grid, but you can like imagine in, with a race like that with safety cars and such, um, coming from the back of the grid and being one of the fastest cars would be even more exacerbated, um, because a lot of the cars are much slower than you. And on a track, a track like that with so so many long straights, you could you just breeze past, who knows, like fifteen down a straight if if they, if they were all in line. So in terms of getting parity or in a or trying to replicate parity in a sport like that, you would have to come up with sort of interesting ways to do it. Like, and then it also takes a lot of time, effort, and then money, which but, sort okay. of blows the um, sort of budget out of the water as well. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I guess that's the issue. Better. I guess that's the issue though, because what I was reading today is if you want to be competitive, mm. is the requirement now to Not get an M2. Car. Yeah. Like are the M3s or the Commodores or whatever else they've got there, are they just non-competitive? And then that kind of takes away people wanting to actually enter the the series. Well, it depends. I guess it always depends on what your what the goal is of the of the team that's entering. If if there are teams that thought that they had a competitive chance to, you know, battle for the race win, um, and they obviously didn't have that chance because of how competitive the car was and it, and it was it was you know the top the car to be in then there's a few options the first option is they have to you know potentially class things better but then obviously classing or reclassifying maybe the the bmws um, by themselves isn't going to allow someone who doesn't have that car to vie for the race win mm-hmm. i mean obviously bop wouldn't really work in that category because if you're you know the whole idea of production cars is, you know, you take whatever car you have, it doesn't matter how, if it's as expensive as a BMW M3 or as cheap as a Hyundai Excel, you take what you can afford and you race it. Um, so I don't know. I think the first thing I would say is if you've got the money to spend on the BMW, 
and you've obviously spent the money to buy that car because you want to battle for the win, well, then you should have the chance to race it for the win. That's the first thing. Um, I think if a reclassification needs to take place and potentially they could do something like that. And even the whole idea of having more pit stops than others, that artificially, you know, keeps the race closer. But we saw, you know, in WEC for the last couple of years when they've been doing that to kind of make the racing more competitive between Toyota and all the other hypercars that have been in the category, even though on paper, by the end of the race, they're close together. It doesn't, you know, the dominance is still, you know, vividly visible um, when you're watching the racing. So I think realistically, either they, they ban the car um, because it's too competitive or they have to kind of put, uh, you know, stronger constraints into, put into place as to what can be raced. In saying that, that's going to affect the guys that have, you know, bought those cars and yeah. want to race them. Um, so it's, I don't know. I don't think it's an easy problem to solve. And I think the fact that it's production car racing um, means that it likely won't be solved. Um, you know, the other thing actually that could be done, and this is probably the most realistic thing for those kinds of races. And it just occurred to me now, maybe they have to have a ballast system. If the car's that much more, if that if the car performs that much uh, better than you know similar cars from similar classes, well then maybe they just have to throw more lead in it to kind of decrease its performance. Yeah, and that might be this. And even if it's only for that race, hmm. um, but that might be the most effective way to resolve that issue, so that someone else who is trying to race for the race win but can't afford that car um, still feels incentivized to enter and to challenge for that when when they're racing against those cars. Yeah, I guess I guess my concern is that like does having such a competitive car kill the series? Yeah, it can. Yeah. And and it I can. think that's probably where Dalton's coming from in that question. Mm. But um yeah. I think I, don't I, don't know. Know. I think ballast might be the cheapest way to do it. Mm. And it, it it's the it's cheapest, but also I think it's the best thing optically for the sport because you mean like you said well like I said, I'm monologuing again. But you can make them do more pit stops and try to handicap them in, in other ways as well. But I think if you've got a car that's heavier, you know, um, that kind of is pegged back a little bit. Mm. You know, we can't tell once they're racing that it's pegged back. We just see cars that are racing against each other. So it doesn't affect the optics of the racing, if that makes sense. Yep. Mm. Yeah, I'll leave it there. What did you think? Yeah, I'm with you, mate. I think well, that's let's... the cheapest way forward. Well, the second fan question was about um, the 2023 driver market. Correct. Right? Yep, from Ben. Is, from Ben, yeah, which is an interesting, an interesting thing to think about. I don't really have a whole lot to say about the 2023 driver market. The only thing that I would say is that from my point of view, with the few races that we've had so far, I'm pretty happy. Well, I think that most teams would be pretty happy with how their driver lineups are performing. But personally, mm -hmm. I think that Aston Martin, for them to be taken seriously moving forward, um, I think they need to get rid of Seb. I think he's just passed his use-by date. And I think that, um, that well, I can't remember his first name, Mr. Stroll has to think as a um, team owner and not a father and get rid of Lance 
I also think we could add Nikki Latifi in, into this conversation too. Yeah. Yep. But Williams is in a different position because Williams haven't like haven't made the claim that they want yeah. to be racing at the top. Like they're pretty on it. Well, they're pretty obviously still searching for the finances to go racing, whereas Aston Martin are not in that position anymore. Yeah, that's and, true. And I think you saw Hulkenberg come in again for two races, and he debatably was more impressive to me than than Stroll was. Hundred percent, um, mate. So I think, as from my points of view, the probably the only real consideration that I've had so far to the driver market is that um, they need to get rid of both of those drivers. And I would be, I think that, you know, for them to rectify that issue, they should be looking at drivers like Gasly. Um, I mean, Red Bull have made a pretty open, have been pretty open about the fact that if they don't sign him to the team next year, they'll lose that, that they'll lose him. And I, I think they actually would be, they wouldn't be too worried about losing him um, because um, they're pretty stubborn in like moving on from him, um, and they and they've still got Albon, who's their kind of prodigy driver that's racing in Formula One again. So I think that he would be um, pretty, you know, a pretty good coup for Aston Martin. But apart from most of the other teams, I think Red Bull have seen the value of having someone like Perez as opposed to having a young driver. So I don't think they'd be too willing to switch that up yet. McLaren, I don't know. Is DR going to be there next year? Probably. His contract runs out uh, at the end of next year. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's probably just Aston Martin. Um, hey, I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, I think Joey and I spoke about it last week. I think Oscar has to be on the grid next year. Yeah. Um, otherwise, Alpine will lose him from the academy yep. regardless. And I think they've come out and said that. And I think... Uh, Laurent Rossi, the CEO of Alpine, has come out this morning or yesterday and said he's better than half the grid as it is. Mm-hmm. So he needs to be in his seat. Um, so I think Oscar's in with a shout somewhere. But yeah, I totally agree. I think those three drivers for me are the three that need to. Do, do you know what would be interesting moving forward? And I don't, I don't know exactly what the contract situation is with teams right now. Mm. But with the Mercedes engine underperforming like it is, does one of those teams, whether it be Williams or probably not Aston Martin, because they're still part of the um, part of the Mercedes family, but a team like Williams, I think, realistically could say that the Renault engine is performing on par, if not better than the Mercedes engine right now. Could they be willing to change engine suppliers? And then does that free up a chance for Oscar to go into a B team um, per se? So that's that's probably another consideration whether it's realistic or not i don't know um but i do agree i suppose the problem with that is um how willing is a team to sort of um go through the whole repackaging of the of of a new sort of powertrain around their car that's going to be sort of the developed on for the next couple years i mean we've seen who mclaren do it badly um i suppose we've seen red bull do it well McLaren did it well last year Mm. Yeah, but I mean, before that, when they went to Honda, we've seen them do it yeah. very badly. <laughs> yeah. um, so, like, that's something to take into consideration, I suppose. I mean, the other thing is that McLaren, uh, not McLaren, Mercedes is a team that we know is probably going to get their shit together sooner rather than later. Mm. Um, so, uh, the other thing is that we we've seen drivers jump between teams on loan without really having sort of end allegiances anyway now like it's, it's not a new thing well we've got um albon at williams 
we've seen um, Sainz, Sainz go Renault. to Renault. So, like, I, I think that thing maybe two years ago, three years ago, before that happened, we probably would have thought, yeah, that's not going to happen. But now that we've seen it happen a few times, I think there's no taboo around it anymore. Um, but I mean, in terms of Oscar, I mean, any we're talking about Stroll and, and, and me and Harry spoke last week about Vettel and um, people look at him through sort of rose-tinted glasses because of, well, he's a four-time world champion. Mm. But if you, the, the results he's bringing in aren't, the results that you're probably paying a four-time world champion for. I agree. And um, we're seeing um, what... Uh, Alonso, I think what Alonso's Alonso's still Hamil- doing. Yeah, that's right. So like- Alonso's, Alonso's extracting performance from that car and performing mm-hmm. at a level above his teammate. Mm-hmm. Whereas last year, I, I was telling Harry last week, I don't think um, um, Vettel consistently did that at, at Aston Martin and... and um, like if he doesn't do that this year, then what, what are you paying him a big check for? Number one and number two, it's going to fuel the, the argument that Stroll is good enough for that seat because they've got a four-time world champion next to him, albeit uh, sort of at the end of his shelf life. Stroll I should suppose. be going, Joe, because um, you've been one of his stronger advocates recently. Um, I, I do think if you're going to go Stroll or someone like Oscar, I'd say he should be going. I think. Stroll has lived out his Formula One life, uh, shelf life, I'd say. Mm. Um, and that's not to say that I don't think he could perform well in other sort of elite championships around the world. Um, I mean, I, like, for example, I think that Stroll's Formula One career has been um, better than someone like Marcus Ericsson. And mm. Marcus Ericsson is, is, is um, cutting up really nicely in IndyCar at the moment. So, like, could he go to IndyCar? Could he go to WEC in some prototype car? Aston Martin, for example. Um, like, don't, like don't think these, are, these are the championships that have good quality drivers, but they're not the best 20 in the world. Right. Um, and I think that he's, like, in cut of that cloth. But I think his Formula 1 career probably has come to an end in terms of, re- like, realistically. But yeah. it does... does, does... Mr. Stroll have what's his first name again? Lawrence. Lawrence. Does Lawrence, Lawrence. have the? Does Lawrence have the? I don't know. I, I, it's interesting because they want to be taken seriously as a team, but the reality is that doesn't matter how much talking they do and who they bring in. Like unless the decision is made to cut ties with your son, who as a racer is good, but he's nothing great. Um, like it doesn't matter what you do, you're not going to have the driver for the car. Um, I'll give you. you know, I'll give you a good example, right? So, Lawrence Stroll's coming to Aston Martin, and he's investing big money into this operation. Like they're building a whole new um, wind tunnel and factory everything. and everything. Campus. Yeah, um, which is awesome. But like this is like a smaller example of. But you've got a um, a team like Grove Racing who sort of buys out Kelly Racing this year, mm-hmm. and Stephen Grove has a son who's been racing for many years in Porsches and Super Twos and stuff like that. And and they both know that probably Brenton isn't cut of the cloth to win in a V8 supercar, and that's not to say that he's not a good drive a good driver. And and them two together do some really good stuff in GT racing. But I think like if if you just look at the sort of them as an analogy, they both know that their 
sort of aim together is to make Grove Racing into a powerhouse of supercars. Mm-hmm. And they know that by, th- by not throwing Brenton into the car and by actually putting the best drivers available to help them succeed is actually what needs to happen to sort of push that project forward. And if um, Stephen said, no, nah, I've bought this team, I'm going to put my son in there to give him a shot in supercars, that's what, how many years of development on a driver that could have been used elsewhere, as in bringing in someone like Lee's, Lee Holdsworth, who's had so many years of experience in sort of the sport to help this team push forward with um, Reynolds and um, their new team manager, Couchy. So they've put, they've put people in every position on that team that's going to help them go forward. Whereas you look at what Stroll's done with Aston Martin, I was telling H last week, they've put my favourite name in F, in, in F1 and Motorsport, Mike Crack, as the mm-hmm. team principal. And I think what Gerhard Berger was saying was of like all the team principals available, he's like he was the one who was the head of the BMW DTM um, operation. Sort of operation at the sort of the end of that life cycle. And they were by far the least successful of the three brands. Mm. So, and you lose someone like, um, what's his name? Who went to Alpine? Yeah, Ocon. Not no, Ocon. Safnil. Oh, yeah, Safnil. Right? So you lose yeah. someone like him who's, who's, who's shown for many years that he's a, um, he's, def- he's, he's no scrub. Mm. And you bring someone who's got no experience and not really the track record. Like, it's just so many little things that don't add up. You know, I was listening to your pod last week, right? And I and that point that you made was really, I thought it was really good. But then it kind of got me thinking as well, right? When um, Mercedes obviously lost Ron Dennis the first time round, Martin, uh, sorry, McLaren, uh, Martin Whitmarsh took over. Um, and for the first couple of years, they performed pretty well. They still had, um, they still had, kind of all the systems in place to um, kind of keep operating as normal. Um, and there was really, you know, kind of no issues at the beginning. But then over his time at McLaren, they started to underperform dramatically to the point where they brought back Ron Dennis or the shareholders did, right? He's the guy now that is in charge of that team. So when you're thinking about crack, you're thinking about Whitmarsh. Yes, they're big names. Yes, you can claim them as coups because they've been in charge of, you know, big teams, whether it be McLaren or BMW. But in both of those situations, neither one of those operators was extracting the most from those teams. So I think it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting situation there um, well, as a team. We've we've seen enough examples recently of team principals who haven't really. Um, What's the word? Like you haven't done enough to even keep their job. Like you look at when Boulier went to um went to McLaren and Boulier, he sort of yeah. had a yeah, mm. he, he hadn't he hadn't really had the best couple of years before he even went there. Well, that's the same and, situation that we're and, talking yeah. about now. He didn't and, then, and he it, went right? and he went there and he did jack shit. And then you bring someone like Seidel in who yeah, has come from nothing but nothing but success. And year one, you saw enough, like you saw little improvements that he said they're on the right sort of trajectory. Like it doesn't have to be win the championship in your first year, mm. but you want to see sort of building blocks, stepping stones, team morale sort of coming through. I mean, even I put Zach, Zach Brown into that whole thing as well, bringing that as well. 
But when you look at Aston Martin, there's number one, too much news is coming out of that team. Like there's too much like little like news articles about someone said this, someone said that. A team that's sort of together doesn't have that much press. Like that's in all sports. So, I mean, I know, I know we're talking about silly season in F1, but when you bring up the whole Aston Martin circus, I think that ship has to be tightened. And really, I think Lawrence Stroll has, has to put someone in the job who, A, can do the job, like who's proven to do the job, and if he makes the decision to pull his son out, because that's who has to make it, the team principal, if he wants to keep him, that's fine. If, if, if um, he sees enough potential there, but if you put someone in there who you want to do a good job and he says, no, nah, this is not good, um, good enough for us, then you have to let, like, leave him um, to do his job because that's what you're paying him for. But I think that Aston Martin's full of yes men. Who do you think? Do you think someone like um, Maurizio Arriva Bene would be good at McLaren uh, at Aston Martin? Because he did take. Mm-hmm. He, he did have some. Should come into Aston Martin Who? as like a, as a um not, not even as a team principal as like a so what are they what are those people called who come in and they just advisor li- liaison advisor. <laughs> someone like um oh Smedley Flavio no. Flavio Briatore. Oh, I was ta- I was taking the piss. No, honestly. <laughs> Do you reckon Honestly. Stroll has too much ego? Yeah, he does. He does, but he needs someone like that. And the thing with, if you put someone like Fabio in there, if you actually put him in there and you use him, he will yeah. actually you actually see the results. He's done. Has he been out teams. of the game for too long? But dude, you can't be out of the game long enough to know people. Mm. Like he knows people. He knows he doesn't have to know how to develop a car. He needs to know how to run the organization. Yeah. Mm. I mean, he, he's got enough chips on it, like enough chips, enough good drivers brought in, like on his resume. And he's free now. He can actually come back into the sport. What about someone like um, Cyril? No. He didn't. Have, he obviously didn't really do anything with Renault, but is he a better option than what they have right now? No. Yes. <laughs> he, isn't a be- he, did, he did nothing at Caterham and then nothing at Renault. And Caterham, oh. yeah, it's not a good team. But like... That's two teams that he hasn't done nothing at. And he, he seems like a nice guy. He's a hairy but, bastard, isn't he? But, um, dude, you need, he need, they need a big fish to, A, bring in drivers, but also bring in people who want to work there who actually are going to take them forward. Speak, speaking of drivers, I've got a couple of predictions, boys, for Tell next me. year. For yeah. next year. There's a couple of scenarios, and they both involve Gasly. Either A, Gasly gets moved into Red Bull because I don't want to lose him. Mm. Checo goes back to Aston Martin or Racing Point, right? And then obviously Latifi leaves and Oscar comes in. That's that's scenario one. Scenario two, and bear with me here, Pierre goes to Aston Martin because I think the ceiling is higher because at AlphaTauri, he's he's never going to win the championship because it's a Red Bull sister team. And then Albon moves back to Alpha Tauri because his contract is only actually, I just looked it up, he's only for one year at Williams. Mm. And then Oscar, so they obviously keep Latifi or they bring someone else in, but then Oscar goes and takes Albon's seat. Can I throw you one more hypothetical? Yeah. But it, and it's interesting, but I think it is worth at least chewing the fat over. Hulkenberg. No, Hulkenberg's out. Hulkenberg won't come back as a full-time driver. Oh, um, yeah. Lando 
keeps beating Ricardo for the next couple of races. First thing, Ricardo becomes the de facto number two driver, isn't a fan. McLaren are happy for him to move elsewhere because he's underperforming. So he goes to Aston Martin on a healthy pay packet that Vettel has right now, and Gasly goes to McLaren. No. No, I can't see that in a million years. There's no chance McLaren's letting him go. Mate, even if he's even if he's underperforming more than Lando and he's on a higher pay packet than him? Mate, I was I was at the GP the other day, and I was saying to, to Joey last week, he was on Lando's gearbox the whole race. Yeah, but he didn't get past him, H. Yeah, because he got told not to. Why would you pass him? You're not going to get so on the podium. He, so he got did told you, not to. Listen, he got told. Listen to our pod last week, bro. I did. I did. This I did. Infinitum. I did. But I'm saying if he doesn't, I said because obviously the Australian Grand Prix, there's, you know, it's the it's the Australian race. Obviously, he's motivated and things like that. But if he keeps on, and the other thing is, he got told not to get past at his home race. So if that isn't telling you you're the number two driver, then I don't know what is. Yeah, but no, but what's the point when McLaren have not scored any? You've, you didn't listen to last week's pod, anyway. Um, I thought I thought we dissected this really yeah, well we last did. week, eh? We did, but like really well. The other the, the other thing with the other thing with Danny Rick, right? Different lens that we're you talking about. It. When he was at Renault, mm-hmm. first year was shit. Second year he came fifth in the constructors in the yep. drivers' championship. No, no, it always takes him a little bit to get. To he shouldn't. I I get that. He should get in the car and fucking drive it. Yeah. But when 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 he does get in that car and he does gel with it, he's one of the best on the grid. But hey, if we get to if we get to like Anthony, Anthony, Anthony. if we Danny do Rick's six going nowhere, bro. I know, but he's if we do six nowhere. if we do no. six more rounds and he's stop Jack Millering Danny Rick now. I oh, know, far out. I can give him okay. a couple races, man. Let us <laughs> get to halfway through the you season. Bastard had COVID. I no. love, I loved when he come came to Red, to McLaren, mate. That was that made my year, right? But if he left next year for someone like Gasly, I, as as a team player, Ricardo is better than fucking Gasly. That's it. Man, I think it's debatable. Can I have a right go now? now? Yeah, have Can a go. Have a go. Have a go. So Danny Rick and Lando are not leaving McLaren because that no car chance. is not good enough to even judge their potential. All right, they have to develop that car. Number one. They're staying there. This is the only thing I can see happening. Vettel is going at the end of the year, 100%. Mm-hmm. He's gone. You bring Oscar to Aston Martin, maybe. Ooh. Maybe. But we're saying there's problems with that as well. But take Oscar to Aston Martin because that's going to be the only seat available. Throw some cheese their way and um, let him drive that car for a year. Then Pierre goes to... Red Bull, because he's gonna he's going to because number uh, Red Bull will want to actually say that their academy works again. So mm. bring Checo, uh, bring him into Red Bull. Checo then goes to Williams, and Albon goes to Toro Rosso. Oh, that's a big drop for Checo. Checo, interesting. You know, you know, last week so, oh, a bit off topic, but when I was at the Grand Prix, the love for Checo from the crowd, he probably mm. got the Third biggest cheer behind DR and Fernando. Yeah, but Checo going to a team like Williams makes sense. If he's not going to be at Red Bull, you bring him to a team like Williams. Number one, no, Williams Aston Martin again. No, nah, he won't go there again. He he doesn't like the strolls. He'll go Williams. He'll bring his he'll bring his Mexican money to Williams. Williams have a bit more potential now. If hopefully by the end of the year, mm. Williams will actually. You know what? Latifi's going at the end of the year as well. So maybe. Um, 
De Vries will be in Aston Martin, someone from um, Mercedes from their stable and um, old mate will be, will, um, old mate, uh, fuck, I just said his name. Anyway, while you think about That's his name, Williams. what about this? If, if Mercedes don't get on top of their car by the end of the year, will, is, is Hamilton out? If they don't, is Hamilton uh, out? Hamilton's not out. Hamilton's been saying he's out for fucking four years since. But if they Rosberg don't, if, won. if they don't get on top of their car by the if end Hamilton of the year, Hamilton leaves this year after like two years, one bad year in in a season after eight or nine years of dominance. He's the biggest crying bitch. No, he's also been. older, but he's also one of the oldest drivers on the field. Like he's got nothing left to prove. Guess what? He's also performing at a at, at a, a still a ridiculously high level. So he's not walking away. Fernando hasn't walked away yet, unless he wants to make some music. Maybe he wants to make some music. But Maybe he does. That's old. what I mean. Maybe he does. I don't think so. Mm. It, definitely oh. an interesting conversation. Mm. It would be, it's all it would hypothetical, be, it would be, obviously. It would be really bad optics, I think, that one especially. Yeah, I don't, I don't think George... he cares at this point. Yeah, I don't think he cares either. I, mean, I wouldn't care, but I don't think... No. Nah, what if George gets on top of the car before him and I think outperforms him this year? I think he will. So then why would he stay? Yeah, maybe. You know, it's interesting, right? I don't Definitely think interesting. That's, mm. I think right. that's the biggest stretch you've had. That's the biggest stretch I've had. I don't More think so. More than the Ricardo stretch. Yeah, really? That, that, Danny Rick's not going anywhere. He's my last curveball. I wouldn't Andretti, mind it. Andretti left, actually bring a team next year. Yeah. Next year? No. Not, never going to no, happen. Definitely next not year. next year. They're not, they're not developed enough for that. They're not ready. No. No. no Moto GP. Yeah. Jump into Moto GP. Well, it's definitely. How many? We've missed three races. Um, We've been waiting for yeah. Michael, but um, yeah, we he's, have. He's, he's still indisposed. In Belo Horizonte in Brazil, <laughs> um, so he's obviously a little bit um, occupied right now. But boys, can, what... we, can I can I preface this, please? Yeah. Can we keep the Jack Miller hate to a minimum so we can actually talk about real stuff? Yeah, sure, hundred percent. Can, can we keep that? Yeah. Low. Yeah. Because you got no you got no legs to stand on at the moment. So let's Me? just get that out of the way. Yeah. Why? What, you, what, what can you say about him? He's the leading GP22. So let's just say I'm not, he's I'm the mate, I'm not, leading GP22. Let's not even mention him. Joe, I'm not Good here work, to... Podiums, I'm not done. I'm not here to... Um, like, it's not my goal just to berate the kid. Yes, it is. You literally send it's messages not. two minutes after the race going, his seat is gone. Look at Peko. Well, nah, 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 nah. No, no. Let's start with... Let's start with, like, a bit of a recap. So, obviously, since our last chat... We've had three races. We've had Indonesia. We've had Argentina. We've had um, Coda. In Indonesia, Miguel Oliveira came out of nowhere. Obviously, there was a bit of an issue with tyres and the surface of the track and um, really dominated the race, which is, you know, really good to see. So it was Oliveira, Quadraro, Zarco, uh, Miller and Rind making the top five. Um, we then went to Argentina. And another great story, uh, Alicia Spargo got... Aprilia's first win. Um, Martin, second. Rins, third. Mir, fourth. Bagnaya, fifth. So two big stories. And then another massive story for the championship at Coda with Bastanini taking his second win for um, Grassini. Rins in second. Miller coming home in third. And Mir and Bagnaya again um, pulling up the rear of the top five. So, Joe, this last three rounds... What were your biggest takeaways? Well, I think Aprilia winning is probably the biggest takeaway, no matter what. 
um, especially because that weekend, even Maverick had quite a bit of pace and was mm. didn't look as bad as he had mm. the last couple races before. And I think the last MotoGP pod, we sort of said, we have to talk about Maverick next. And um, yeah. he sort of showed, a, he, he showed more than what I was expecting. I suppose the bike must have been well suited to the track. Um, I mean, good on them. Like it's it's an amazing perform performance. I'm especially happy for Aleish to get his first win for that team. Like sort of building that team from pretty much sort of the rubble of sort of previous sort of um, attempts at building a good MotoGP bike. Mm. Um, and then he's he's sort of got their first pole. Gone out, got their first race. Like his these Espargaro boys are good at building teams. That's for sure. Um, they're good at racing bad bikes. And no, I don't think they're, I don't think, the I think they're good. I think they're the good at, they must be good at giving information to their, um, to their um, engineers. Mm. That's what they must be good at. They must be able to feel the bike and translate that well. Mm. Um, both of them, which makes sense. because They've probably both done it together for many years in terms of like their junior career. You know, I never um, thought about that point, you know, that you just made, but it's actually pretty yeah, profound. I'm an oracle. I'm an oracle. Because even if you think <laughs> about, even if you think about um, how much the Honda bike has performed this year, obviously the feedback they were getting wasn't from Marquez last year. It was coming from Pole. And for the bike to be so much more compliant this year probably means that there was a bit of chatter from, from Pole that allowed that to happen as well. I think Good your point. best test drivers your best test riders are the ones who aren't the best actual riders because the best riders can get more out of a bike than what it actually gives you. Someone like Marquez, because he's, he's saving it so many times. He's like, oh, yeah, this bike is awesome because I can catch it. Mm. Whereas, like, you look at Ducati, have had Michele Piero as their test rider for so many years. That bike keeps getting better and better and better. And he's never really even raced in MotoGP except um, wild cards, even like uh, KTM and Mika Calio, when he was their test driver, you saw the bike mm. growing so much because these are guys who just can feel changes in the bike and they just come out, oh, we're going to do two clicks of this. How does it feel? And it says, oh, it's going to be that way. They're also, due to their limitations as riders, dependent on the setup to be as good as possible for them to extract the most from it. That's right. That's um, what I'm saying. So they ride within the bike. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, how good is that for... Um, for Aprilia. Aprilia. Also, yeah. also, how good is it now that Grassini's team has got two wins this year? Like, this is a team that's sort of been in the Aprilia doldrums, ironically, for the last couple of years, mm. slowly progressing that bike. But now they've finally sort of got a couple of wins um, as a team, sort of rewards for their hard work. Mm. Um, and then I think the third point would be that Yamaha has been abysmal, other than Quadraro sort of saving them. Like, you look at the other three bikes. And they're nowhere to be seen most of the time. Yeah. Like it's been really bad. I think Davizioso had a, he, he came out yesterday. I read an article and he's saying he did not expect this bike to be this bad, but he knows that it's a bike thing because one of the guys he's racing is his Morbidelli and he's yeah. on the same bike. So, I mean, as I don't know if Yamaha knew this year was going to be bad and they're sort of resting on last year's laurels to sort of build a better bike for next year and give themselves some time but in terms but it, of change of fortunes i think they're going to lose a rider because of this that's right i was going to say they don't really have have the time even though they might want it because the time that they're you know 
thinking that they might have to build the other bike, they're going to lose their best rider because of it, um, which is definitely a huge issue. And when you think about, we haven't raised it, but it's probably a good time to raise it now. When you think about the issue that um, Mark has had in Indonesia, falling on his head again, missing um, a race because of it. I mean, it was number one, it was miraculous that he was back in at Coda. It was miraculous. Well, I don't think it was miraculous how well he performed at Coda because he still, you know, had a horrible start and managed to go from 24th to 5th during the race. So he still definitely got the goods. Um, but Honda have to have a contingency plan in place in case, you know, Marquez has another crash this year or this is going to be an issue that, you know, keeps sprouting up. So, um, I mean, as well, I think it might have been two days ago, there was, there was already conversations or there was already articles about um, Honda um, having conversations with Cotteraro to, to see, you know, if he's interested in next year. So it's definitely something that they need to be considerate of. Um, H. Yes. What have you watched? What have you garnered from the championship so far? Uh, not much, mate. I haven't really kept up. There's been so much motorsport. The one thing I did want to say is that Michael, our other member of the podcast, as he's not here, I'm happy to speak up for him. And and just explain to the listenership that Michael has really gotten onto the Jack Miller bandwagon mm. and that he's really supportive of him and has regrets all of, all of his hate from the past. So, you, I ha- this is something that I did want to raise. <laughs> and it's not and it's not through any fault. Can I, can of, I, can I stop of you? Miller. Can I stop you quickly? Can we just talk? Let me, let I me, just let me just, yeah. touch on Honda quickly. Yeah, and sure. And then Yamaha before we move to another team. Yeah. Um like if I was a team like Honda. Would you would that do you think they would enter the entertain the idea of running three Repsol factory bikes like they did with when Davizioso was there as a contingency plan just to get um, Quadraro? Yes, because, because I mean, Mark as as good as he is is I think from now on is is one crash away from a career-ending injury, and um. I mean, also just thinking about it logically, everyone else nearly like Ducati has five bikes now. Like Honda running one more isn't really anything but evening the playing field for them as well. Mm. But um, like when you like, I think I was talking about Yamaha. When you look, are, at, they, are they allowed to, Joe? I don't know if they're allowed to. I mean, I think they're allowed to sell think, the latest I bike to another have, team. I think I think you can, but it is it can't give you all championship points. Like you have to have two bikes designated on the I team, see. on the, on the construct, on the actual team. I think oh, for the team's championship. That's right. Because but it can, it can count towards the constructors. It can count to constructors, which is what they care about more anyway. Mm. Um, I mean, I feel sorry for Quadraro when I'm, when I'm seeing him. The other thing that I was quickly going to mention in that whole spiel was the thing with, that Quattararo is doing for them at the moment is because there's so many bikes, there's been, I think, 11 bikes on the grid, on the podium this year out of four races. So there's been 12 times someone can be on the podium. The only one who's doubled up is Bastianini, hmm. right? So we're, we're seeing at least 12 possible bikes and there's more that can actually race the podiums this year. So the spread of points is, I think, is going to be so much, um, what's the word? Tighter, um, tighter, because you're gonna have bigger drop-offs between bikes, right? Mm, so if you, so, so that the person who can park themselves up, park themselves up the front more, is definitely gonna um, have an advantage. 
So I think because of that, you see like Cordero actually isn't too far behind other people in the points other than Bastianini because he's just maximizing the points hall, not falling off. When you see Bagnai has fallen off, he's taken out Martin. Uh, Miller's had one race when he couldn't pass anyone, another one in the bike stop. So you've got all these bikes that should be performing better, having mm. technical gremlins and falls. Mm. Um, Marcus had his crash where he couldn't even do a race. So everyone's sort of helping him stay in the game. Yeah. Um, but I'm interested to see how that's going to go in Europe when you expect all these teams then to sort of get, get on top of their bikes, no gremlins. And I think everyone, every rider, I think this year is going to have a, much bigger emphasis on staying on because you need to maximize those points more than ever this year it looks like well the interest like it's funny you talk about that and it's probably good that you did because we can add another team to this conversation and that's suzuki because if there's one thing that suzuki is doing this year while they haven't had the pace to, w- to win any races they definitely are getting both of their riders up to the you know top five very Last consistently close Winter's yeah, they, close last week. they were they, they, like they're, they're there or thereabouts. And they're probably, if you were to take the last three or four races, I think they're probably as a team, the most team that's consistently up there, even if they're not winning. So that's working well for them. It's really interesting because it's kind of similar to how they performed the year that me won the championship. They kind of were just consistent. They'll bag a few wins, I think over the course of the year, because the bike is good. Um, but it's definitely, it's keeping the championship open. And even for someone like Marquez, who's missed a race, um, if he is able to stay on top of the, on top of the bike without having any more setbacks um, and to win a few races, it, there's you know, a pretty decent chance that he'll make his way back into the championship um, with a few wins. So it's, it's definitely interesting. Um, moving on to Ducati though, and this is what I've kind of wanted to talk about. And that's, you can you can classify it as Miller hate if you want, but I made the point last week when we were watching the race that Miller had the best race of the year of his year, and he you know performed really well. But would it be through no fault of his own could he still lose his his ride purely because the you know Bastianini is performing so well um, behind him, and then obviously that came out. Well, during the week, it came out that Miller said, you know, I'm not too fast if I'm racing for the factory team or the Pramac team, provided that it's, you know, the, the latest bike. It doesn't really bother him. But do you think that's a, a pretty realistic possibility? You're you going to go, H? Oh, I had a question about um, something else. So you guys finish this okay, one. Yeah. So um, I think it's definitely a possibility. And I would say it's more probability. probability than possibility at the moment. Mm. I mean, realistically, all he can do is finish ahead of all the GP22s. Like what we said at the start of the year, I think I think still exists, is that the, the GP21 is at the moment a better bike. And they've known that since testing. But what we also said was that Ducati changed the bike because this bike gives them a bigger platform to now update, whereas the other one, they sort of said is out of up at the end of its update life cycle. Mm. So if, if, if let's say Miller stays the number one of the new bikes, are you going to get rid of him? Because mm. everyone's got the hots for Bagnaya, everyone's got the hots for Martin, but are you going to get rid of him if he outperforms them? Yeah, and we haven't you, seen Bagnaya on, on the newer bike. Bagnaya is on the new bike. What are you talking about? Sorry, not Bagnaya. 
Bastianini. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. are, are we are we going to discredit him for performing as good as as good as the rest of them? Because the funny thing is, him and Zarko are actually the two um, lead bikes in the GP22s. Mm. Like, and I wouldn't have guessed that if I didn't look at it. But um, I think this uh, dude. There's so much of the season to go, and if if three quarters down the season it's 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 flip flopped, then fair enough. Like it is what it is. But I think raising these questions this early is a bit folly because we know that the bike has technical problems at the moment. Well, then the race... can I throw one more hypothetical at you then? Yeah. Is is with how well Bastianini is going on the older bike? Is it more prudent to consider? If um, Zarco is on the hot seat, if he perform, or if he drops off like he did at the end of last year, um, what an even and, better and, idea for Ducati? Hmm. Just make another GP twenty three next year. They've got they've gone from four to five. Just go from five to six. They'll do it in a second. And put back keep Bastianini at Grassini on the twenty three. Why, why not? If he's going to perform that well, they'll do it. If if Grassini is going to, why not? Ducati yeah. have this have this this thing now where you even see it when when um old um bastianini is winning himself you see the the um the ducati team celebrating with the grissini team mm. celebrating with the pramic team mm. you know what i mean like there's a real family culture then i think um what you were talking about with miller going to the pramic bike he didn't say that he said if i was on the pramic bike i would be fine because i know i know 100 percent that it's the exact same bike we have mm. like like i have first-hand proof of that so people who are implying that as a bike, not as good, he's saying like they're wrong. Like I know the bike is exactly the same. But I didn't I mean it like that. I meant it. No, in but the I, sense I, that. That's what he. That's how he meant it. Because I listened to it live, and they asked him, and he said, "All I can do is perform at my best. If mm-hmm. I go to Pramic, I know that I'm going to have the exact same bike anyway. Um, so people can think what they want. Mm-hmm. But I definitely do think that." Bastianini will be on a on a on a new bike next year, hundred percent. Like you how, know, can with, you, how can you deny him? You know, with all this stuff we're saying at Miller, I think that was even though he didn't win, I thought that might have been his best race that I've seen him race. Because he obviously the, the the tires went tires went off at the end, but he his like overall consistency and performance during that. I, I thought he was going to win. With five laps to go, but then obviously there was a bit of a taper um, towards you. Not really a taper, but Bastianini was so quick um, at the end of the race. But I think that was his most consistent performance. And the other thing that we need to take into consideration and actually give him the credit for is that his performances in relation to, or his performance last week in relation to Bagnaya was a lot better. Um, so that has to be taken into consideration as well. All in all, though, what it has left us with so far is a wide open MotoGP championship. No one has really, with the exception of um, Bastianini, but even he had poor races in Indonesia. Um, no one has really taken the championship by the scruff of the neck yet. And that's really good for the spectators because it leaves it wide open. You know, a lot of the riders that we support um, still have a, a good chance to make something of the season, even though it's still so early. And that's that should be a realistic um, consideration as well. Um, but the way that MotoGP is panning out this year, I can't wait for the teams to get back to Europe because I really want to see some kind of pecking order develop just so we know who the real um, who the real kind of championship contenders are going to be. 
Um, so to probably, before we go into Harry's question, Joe, just based off of what you have seen, and it's again, it's difficult because we haven't had much consistency at this point, but you know, who are your early thoughts or who do you think when the season comes to kind of the crunch time are going to be there to kind of take the championship this year? I think out of all the sort of top, uh, all, the, all the disciplines that we discuss, this is the one that is going to be the hardest to pick all year because we've seen sort of a pecking order develop in Formula One. We've seen a sort of a pecking order develop in supercars. But in MotoGP, it is it's every week is is it's like it's like they're just throwing up some dice and just letting the numbers fall how they will. Mm. Um, like I really don't I really don't know. Like that, that and that's the honest truth. I think that there's going to be races that are bike specific. Like you'll like you'll see different manufacturers have a good weekend. One thing I will say though is that when the Honda and the Yamaha are bad. They're mm. all bad, you mm. know what I mean? Like the whole fleet struggles, and you and maybe you, you don't see that as much with this with the Suzuki's because probably maybe the, the two riders are so good is that they're always next, they're always next to each other, like fourth, fifth, mm. third, fourth, mm. stuff like that, right? But like when, when the fleet of KTMs are bad, they're usually all bad, they all qualify bad. Um, I mean, I don't know, I honestly don't know. I think Marquez is Honda's savior this year like Kawadaro is for Yamaha and I think KTM still isn't where think, we thought they were after Oliveira's win I think Honda's more competitive in the sense that the gap between Marquez and Espargaro is definitely smaller than the gap between um, oh, Kawadaro and the rest but miles to, to, to finish the conversation about MotoGP probably the my earliest thought so far on the season, if, they, if we were going to talk about championship, is this. I don't think Bastianini once the other bikes, once the other factory bikes kind of get their act together, is going to be as dominant as he has been this early in the season. So when you, the European, European season starts, I think that he might taper slightly. But if there was ever a year when for Alex Rins to win a championship, it's got to be this year because that bike is pretty dialed in, I have to say right now. Um, at this stage, I think it's kind of the best of the rest after the Grassini. And we've said it before on the pod, but when it comes to poor, poor, pure performance, he is better than me. So if he can stay on the bike for Me's the whole speed. year, yeah, speed-wise, if he can stay on the bike and the bike does continue to trend the way it is, I think come to the end of the, coming to the end of the year, there might be, of all the riders, um, a chance that he's fighting for the championship. I will oh, tell you this quickly as well. Early thoughts. Mentioning Bastianini, just before we go off, Miller did say that he cannot replicate the way Bastianini rides a bike so smoothly and that when it comes to tyre preservation, he honestly said, I can't preserve tyres like this kid. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a, he said, I've tried to, I've watched so much like sort of film and, and traced his um, data traces data trace of throttle and all that kind of thing and the and it's also the way that he he doesn't really use any back brake to turn whereas miller is said he uses nearly all back brake to rotate the bike and which then leads to more tire deg so in terms of that if olme is as good at saving tire as miller's saying out in a in a in a um, press conference 
Mm. I mean, it could be that he's just better than everyone because he can make those tyres last. Mm. And if that's what it is, he'll definitely be on a, on, on, on a GP22 probably in the factory team next year. Like if, if 23. That's what it is. 23 by then. If that's what it is. Mm. Good point. H, let's finish with your question, mate. Yeah, just quickly. Um, I suppose as someone who doesn't watch MotoGP religiously, I don't understand, and I, I hear I hear most of it from, from you guys. I don't understand how Bagnaya is seen to be such a better rider than Miller. Looking at the res- looking at the results this year and yeah. last year, like I know he beat I know he beat him last year. He was in the championship race, but Miller still did a pretty good job. So yeah, he I, did. I don't think he is that. I don't think he is that much better. But when push came to shove, and they had the best bike, not the one of the best bikes, debatably the best bike, really. When push came to sub and they had debatably the best bike and there wasn't issues with, you know, developing it and its performance, he just performed better. Um, listen, that's not to say that it's, it's interesting because we say the same, if you were to take, for example, Mir and Rins and you'd say, who's the better rider? You would say Mir because he stays on the bike and he always finishes better in the championship. But if there was a better rider purely based on talent, it's Alex Rins 100%, but he hasn't performed to the to the level that we expect. So I don't like, I don't think that me I don't think sorry just you, I don't think that Rin uh, Miller isn't a great rider. I think he is, but we've seen it time and time again. Well, not time and time again, but we've seen people come in that have less experience than him, and they're at or slightly above his level, and that has to tell you something. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of wrap my head around it because. From what when I've watched him, he's done quite well. So, um, yeah, Jack is Jack is in in definitely the top half of the MotoGP paddock in terms of his skill. The problem that Jack faces at the moment is that his team is full of awesome young riders who also happen to be Italian and an Italian team, but also happen also, to be on a great bike. Yeah, I'm and saying, it's very like, so rideable. They're on, they're on great bikes. They're all on great bikes. They're all really good, but these young guys with Bagnaya, it's different because they've had three years together. They're two one, but like one year each on Pramac. And I want to see how it goes this year with the at the Ducati team. Um, like in terms of smoothness, I don't think I don't think Jack is as good as 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 them. And he, I think he has to lead from the front. Like, because otherwise, when he's chasing, he burns up his tires too much. Um, but I, in in the in what you're saying is is Bagnaya better than him? I think it's mainly because it's an age thing. Like he's he's quite a few years younger, so you'd think that he, like he's got a longer shelf life. That's the other thing as well. Hmm. He also didn't. He also stayed on the bike more. I think. One of the things that's tarnished Miller's reputation isn't his pace because we know he's fast and we know that he can, his one race will be like, to start last year, he was, I thought he was going to win the championship um, after the first quarter of the season, but he falls off the bike and he's prone, proven, you know, time and time again, that even if he's not falling off the bike, he does make mistakes. But he's he's not consistent. Yeah, exactly. I think he has has a mental strength. I think he has a mental strength thing as well. Weaker mental strength. Yeah, well, I think like Quadraro had that problem as well when he was at um, his first year at uh, SRT and he actually spent a whole off-season with a mental strength coach and then he's been with him ever since. 
and 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 if you look at the sort of change in trajectory of how he ended um that year at srt and then how he came back mm. like i mean i think all two wheel sports are so between like in between here compared to much more than four wheel sports well look at maverick vinales if you want to talk about yeah. someone who's got all the talent hot in the and, world hot and cold but he doesn't have the, he's got doesn't have nearly the mental fortitude of of some of the riders that he's up against and that's why he's he's he'll never be a, he really has the talent to be a champion but he, he just doesn't have the the mental fortitude to put it all together and to put it together consistently um yeah, 100%. Yeah. i guess the, the reality is we're just gonna have to wait and see this year because it's going to be particularly for someone like jack miller who does have the talent but there's just going to be you know can he put it together this year and if he can put it together i think he keeps his right because that point that you made about provided that he's still performing as the best gp22 bike well then it's hard to to take that right off him and i could more easily see someone like zarko losing his seat or if grassini can afford it maybe you know putting him on a, a gp uh, bastianini on gp23 moving forward but boys we've been shooting it for a few different topics now um so what do you reckon we leave it there tonight that's about an hour 10 i'm happy sounds good and we'll be back next week with the review from the amelia romagna is it next week yep imola yep imola track uh crowd favorite when it comes to the comes to the racing so yeah we'll continue the show next week boys have a great night thanks mate cheers boys peace out